All right, welcome to the DWD podcast. As always, it's Joey on air. Unfortunately, we don't have Asher with us today because he's at college, but we do have a truly amazing guest. Everybody, please welcome Shreya from Nourish America onto the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me today. No problem, no problem. So, Shreya, we usually do this with all the people which we interview. If you don't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, my name is Shreya Shivokumar, and I'm 16 years old, and I'm from New Jersey. Um, And I love to be involved in my community and help make change and work in a team, and that's why I started my nonprofit. Um, Yeah. So if you don't mind just talking a little bit about your nonprofit, because that's how I found out about you, Nourish America. Can you just tell us what Nourish America is? Yeah, so um, of course. Throughout my freshman years of high school, I um, like to volunteer at my local food pantry um, because I'm a Girl Scout and I was trying to earn a volunteer award. And I mainly work to distribute the foods to the pantry's customers. And after talking with some of them, I learned that sometimes they couldn't find the foods that they needed or their family members needed, um, despite the pantry's help. Um, this included parents with children with food allergies, uh, which was most commonly peanuts and dairy, if I remember. And as time went on, I learned that this wasn't an isolated incident. Many people shared the struggle and they had um, they had a hard time putting food on the table when their loved ones had food allergies. That's super cool. So are you only located in New Jersey or are you is this like a branch of uh, the nonprofit and it's like in other areas as well? Yeah, we're um, right now. We're only in New Jersey, but we're expanding to more and more food pantries um, in like central and northern New Jersey. Cool. So you say that you're expanding to like different air, different food pantries. So how do you get involved with the food pantries? How do you partner up with them? Well, um, it's mainly through word of mouth. Like we are a team of high schoolers and we know like we've been volunteering at food pantries and through Girl Scouts and these other organizations. And we just uh, reach out to people. That's so cool. So you said that it's like a primarily high school based nonprofit, right? Yeah, um, our team, we're all high schoolers, we're all juniors right now, and we have volunteers who are younger than us, a middle school, even some in elementary school, so we're mainly youth-based. How does the recruitment process go? Because I can't even imagine running um, an organization like that with a bunch of kids. I don't even know how to manage that. How how do you manage that? Yeah, um, well, we just, um, I had the idea last year, and then I just called up a bunch of my friends and I said, hey guys, would you like to join this with me and work on this with me? And yeah, we all just brainstormed and we came up with this idea and that's what it is today. And uh, as for recruiting, um, we just, um, we asked the schools if they want any, they have any children who are like interested in this issue and interested in getting volunteer hours and we help train them and they really learn about the cause and they become passionate about it and I love seeing that happen. So I know that you mentioned a little bit about community service, and it seems like that's what your whole nonprofit is centered around. I don't know if it's similar in your school, but in my school, we have um, mandated community service hours, which we have to fulfill in order to get our end of high school diploma. I'm just curious from your perspective, do you think that that should be a mandated thing? Well, um, in my school district, it's not uh, mandated. Actually, it's just uh, students just do it on their own will. And I think it should be that way everywhere because, well, you can force students to do community service, but will they retain that for the rest of their life if they're forced to? And 
I feel like you have to have that passion for something to really enjoy the work you put in and only when you enjoy the work you put in will you continue to do it for the rest of your life. So you said that the startup of your nonprofit was just through your past experiences um, looking, working at your local food pantries. How did other people's experiences impact you? Like, how was it super profound for you to be working in these food pantries? Um, did you see anything which was kind of like a trigger moment where you're like, I really, really need to get involved? How did that really work? Yeah, well, I just, um, it wasn't one incident. It was more of a series of just talking to people who came into the pantry and learning about their lives and their families and their children. And um, I made a lot of like lasting like friendships there. And I learned that we the part like when they came into the food pantry, the food pantry was only able to fulfill some of their needs. Like they still needed like, for example, allergen free foods. They still needed to get those from the supermarket. And of course, they're very expensive, um, more expensive than their counterparts. And there, other than that, there were mothers with children who needed um, like diapers and baby products and even people with elderly parents who needed foods that needed to be suited to their diets. So it's not just allergies, but um, that's what we focus on. So I know that the whole allergy issue is, is basically a growing topic of conversation. It seems like everyone around me has some sort of food allergy, which basically debilitates them from living a regular life, whether that be like a peanut allergy or um, an egg allergy. How do you, like, what is the game plan for the future on how to alleviate um, this growing allergy crisis in terms of like, let's say your own personal level and what you think policy can do to actually change that? Well, right now, um, there's still research going on on how to um, reduce the amount of people who have food allergies, but they have not found um, a solution yet. So I think the best way would be to focus on the healthcare crisis and how we can make um, medis- medications and like things like EpiPens and like drugs, like healthcare drugs, more affordable and treatment more affordable for people who need it. Because right now, you know, you see what's going on with the EpiPen crisis. Um, epinephrine is in shortage and now the EpiPen prices are soaring. They've been soaring for a long time and this really places a financial burden on families in need who um, really need this drug. Do you think that pharmaceutical industry, like the pharmaceutical industry who's running the, like basically who created um, EpiPens, do you think that they're to blame for this increasing uh, crisis? Oh, well, the company, it's, uh, the company's name is Mylan, and they um, they have patented the EpiPen, but I feel like there's many factors that go into it for because, like, for example, um, one of the things that makes the EpiPen expensive is its unique um, injecting technology, and that's why doctors can't prescribe alternatives or generics because that technology is very unique, and that's why people are forced to go towards the EpiPen. But, um, yes, I do think in part the company is to blame, but they have try to do things to alleviate that but it hasn't solved the problem completely so there's there's a lot of factors that go into this what should we do as people who are not i'm particularly i'm not allergic to to anything but what can i do as a person who's conscious of the issues of actual allergies and allergic reactions since i have peers around me what can we do to help alleviate the stress for people who do have these allergies and are struggling on a day-to-day basis 
I think it's just um, acknowledging that food allergies are not something that sets you apart from some like other people. Like just like accepting it and being kinder to people in general because we all know that children with food allergies experience more bullying than children without food allergies. So that's at like in schools especially, um, children with allergies are forced to sit away from their peers and that kind of you know really um, creates like some hurt in them and we don't want that to happen. So I think it's good to have like, um, like tables where people can agree to just not bring in food with allergens and then everyone can eat together and be in a safe environment. So I think that's a good option for schools. For sure, for sure. So did you, you said that your nonprofit started approximately like two years ago, right? Uh, yeah, about one year. Um, this is December, actually. Oh, that's amazing. Well, props to you guys for keeping it going. But was was there any like difficulty starting up the nonprofit? And how is it like as a Gen Zer, as a kid who's 16 years old or 15 years old at the time, starting up a nonprofit? Was there like some sort of legitimacy issues? Did you have any issues with the legalities of actually starting it? Well, yes, definitely. Um, I feel like when we first came out with this idea and told our um, friends about it, our parents about it and everything, they were kind of hesitant. They were like, they didn't really think the cause was that widespread. Um, but it took a lot of time and a lot of research to convince everyone that we are really making a uh, change and that more people than we think need this and could really, their lives could really be bettered by this cause. And as for the legality, um, no, I don't think the legality was a problem, like the paperwork and stuff. That was really a very minor part of it. The major part of it was getting a team together, getting the idea together, brainstorming, and taking action. Yeah, so I think that team management, especially from my perspective, is such a difficult thing to have, especially with even adults, you know, like running a huge corporation is so difficult from an adult's perspective. You're running a non-governmental organization from a student's perspective. Do you have like separate jobs for your organization? Is there some sort of like coordinator? Well, yeah, we all, um, we have a team of six people, six high schoolers, and we all have different roles. Um, and, but we don't really think of it as like a hierarchy or anything. It's just that, you know, we have like a treasurer and a secretary and event director and, but we all end up sharing and collaborating to create the final product. So we don't really take the roles too seriously. So it seems like you have a clear purpose or a clear passion that is to help your community. But a lot of teenagers out there, especially in junior, sophomore year, have difficulty finding out what they truly enjoy. Is there anything that you would recommend to them on how to actually find their passion and figure out what they're interested in? Well, I think it would just be to uh, try everything um, because there's no way you know what your passion is before you um, spend some time, you know, doing it. Um, for example, like I, my passion for helping my community came from being in Girl Scouts. I'm still a Girl Scout, and I love it. Like I love doing community service. I love working on projects with my fellow Girl Scouts, and I'm actually working on earning my Girl Scout Gold Award. So, and also I kind of married that with my um, experience in Model UN and mock trial, which taught me how to um, advocate and speak for what I believe in and I kind of married those together and with, with this cause and to create Nourish and that's how I found my passion. That's amazing, that's amazing. So what has the biggest kind of accomplishment been through your one year of nonprofit work? 
Um, I think our biggest accomplishment was the benefit concert that we held this June. Um, and it was, it's called a Notes for Nourish. It was a benefit concert slash coffee house event that we held in our community. And it was mainly for the purpose of um, bringing more people into our organization and letting them see what we do in our cause so that they could be aware of um, the food allergies and how we are helping people in need with, by giving um, allergen-free foods to food pantries. So I think it was a really big success because we had a lot of talented young musicians come and volunteer their time to help this cause and it was really moving to see that young people are still willing to um, help their communities and give up their time for that. That's, that's so cool. So do you think that the younger audiences are more engaged in what your nonprofit has to offer or do you think that the older generations are more involved in your nonprofit? Do you think that um, certain generations overlook the, the uh, food poverty crisis? Um, I think definitely because, I mean, I don't blame older generations because food allergies are way more common now than they were when our parents were alive and their grandparents were alive. So, for example, like the, ra the rates of food allergies um, in children have been going up in the past few years. And there's many causes for this. They haven't determined um, a single cause. But we, I feel like youth are more into invested in this cause because they have brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors who have food allergies. Maybe even they have food allergies. So a lot of people feel a personal connection to this, um, especially um, young people. For sure. So what has the biggest struggle been um, as a young nonprofit worker and community activist been um, throughout, not even, even predating uh, your nonprofit work, what has the biggest struggle been um, with you actually engaging your community? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I feel like the biggest issue for us was um, we were looking at very small places, like small ways to create change. And we had to realize that when we have a, like our nonprofit is very specific. Like we want to help people um, who have food allergies who are also in need. So we have to find a bigger food pantry to like, who have those people, right? And, and sometimes food pantries didn't have space, like physical space to store more food. So they couldn't accept our donations. But we solved that by going to other food pantries, expanding, talking to more food pantry managers. And we realized that we were, what we thought before was right. There was a huge need for these products. And we just had to look beyond our uh, immediate surroundings to find it. So that was our biggest um, struggle, I would say. With all of that, is there any piece of advice that you would give to a Gen Zer on how to actually get involved in their community? I would say if you have a passion and you've been thinking of taking action but you're kind of hesitant because you're afraid of failure or you're afraid of what people will think of you, just don't. Don't worry about any of that. Don't think about what comes next. Just think about what's in front of you and what you know you want to do in your heart. And I think the rest, the doors will just open. The rest will just come. But you just have to take that first step and do it. So that's my advice. Well. Thank you, Shreya. I think we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you again for hopping on this episode. I truly, truly, truly am amazed by your uh, NGO Nourish America. Thank you for all the service that you've done, and thank you for hopping on this episode. 
As always, this is the DWD, uh, DWD podcast wrapping up episode 26. Our information will be in the description. Tell us what you thought of this episode. Feel free to email us or drop us a DM. Um, but this is Joey signing off. Thank you again, Shreya. Peace.